0: hey this is steve sims from the art of making things happen if you want to concentrate and know how to build a brand then you got to listen to brands on brands on brands
1: in a world where advertising is ignored business is exposed and the only constant is change how do you build a brand that matters Welcome to Brands on Brands on Brands. A home for those who think different and push their boundaries. This is where branding that matters lives. Now, here's your host, Brandon Berkmeyer. Hey
2: everyone, thanks for tuning in to Brands on Brands on Brands. Really excited today. We have Steve Sims, who if you haven't heard of him, has been called the real life Wizard of Oz by Forbes and Entrepreneur Magazine, He's a speaker that's worked with Sir Richard Branson, Elon Musk, Elton John, to name a few. He's basically the guy who connects with all the fabulous and wealthy and hard to get to people because he throws events that only he can throw. He creates these one-of-a-kind experiences that you've never known happen but were happening at the most amazing places you've ever heard of and we'll talk a little bit about that on the show today how he did that how he built a business that was based on just relationships and having an idea and over delivering uh to his people to his customers and i love this because for entrepreneurs out there i think we could all use a reminder that our brand is our reputation that our customers are our lifelines and the better we can do at nurturing those relationships the better our business is going to push forward and thrive and our brand will take on a life of its own. And then he's a perfect example of that. So I hope you guys love what you hear today from my friend, Steve Sims. Brandon Brand. All right, so let's get going here. Want to thank our guest, Steve D. Sims, from coming today because I know there's a lot of Steve Sims out there, but you're the only Steve D. Sims. First and foremost, thank you for showing up today and I appreciate your time in advance. Thanks for having me, pal. For those of you that don't know Steve, I got the chance to meet Steve in Thailand of all places. And Steve was one of the speakers at a mastermind retreat I was at where we went to work on our businesses, a lot of brilliant entrepreneurs out there. And Steve right away was one of those guys that people immediately connected with because he's very authentic, very real, and he's done some amazing things. Some of those things, I mean, will blow your mind and I hope we can talk about a few of those today. But what I want to talk a little bit about first is... Just this idea that you get yourself into some interesting places that no one else can get into. Uh, I mean, you're a speaker, an entrepreneur, an author of a book called Blue Fishing, which I want to hear more about, but you know it for creating these amazing events and experiences that no one else can seem to create or even think of, to be honest. I'd love to hear a little bit more about Bluefish, your company first, and what you do at Bluefish.
0: Well, Bluefish is the world's leading experiential concierge firm for high net worth individuals. We're a private invite only and uh, referral only uh, concierge firm. And we are responsible for taking over museums for you know dinner parties of six people and then getting Andrea Bocelli to come in and serenade you while you're eating your pasta, getting you married in the Vatican, sending you down to the Titanic, five days up in the International Space Station. Getting elephants delivered at your, your uh, birthday party, playing drums with Guns N' Roses, learning the guitar by ZZ Top and singing on stage with the rock band Journey. You know, we're basically, as as a client of mine called it, the Make-A-Wish Foundation for people with really big checkbooks.
2: Wow. and And I think there's at least 10 stories there that you just sped through but we'll have to get back to at least one of those a little later but i think that's a good uh, version of like this is what the company does and people are trying like what is blue fishing or what's this company do blue fish now you wrote this book blue fishing to kind of explain what you do and then you also when you were in thailand you spoke a little bit about what you do as well what do you focus on in terms of content when you're out there talking to people trying to motivate and explain like you know what it is how they can be different in their businesses because a lot of our audience is entrepreneurs. But what's your focus of content typically right now?
0: I said that's a strange way of putting it. Um, I'm going to answer the question hopefully with a, a little positioning. You know, there's a lot of people that say they work for the rich and famous, and some of my clients are. But most of my clients are the richer and unknown. You know, people that own small things like countries, governments. You know, those are my clients. I had been approached to write a book. And they said to me, hey, you know, write this book and do a tell-all on what the richest people in the planet spend money on. And bottom line of it is, with the people that I know, if I did that, I'd be dead by cocktail hour. Simple as that, you know, and never talk about my clients unless they've been in the press and spoken about me. So, you know, we didn't do it. And then I did a a speech, and I think it was Joe Polish's 25K event, uh, his Genius Network. I did a speech and so the story goes i can't validate this but someone in the state someone in the room was from simon schuster and then they came back to me and they said hang on a minute rather than you writing a book on on you know who you do these things for and what you do why don't you write a book on how you do these things so that's how the whole thing came about we actually ended up writing a book on how i go about doing it how i connect with people how i uh, commit how I communicate, how I relate, how I build up relationships, how I get what the so-called impossible made possible, and and that's what's really my my focus. Like you said before at the beginning of this, and I'm kind of glad you did, but it's wrong. You know, you always say, "Oh, you do what no one else can do. You do what no one else can dream." Pansies out there are scared to dream nowadays, you know, and I think my secret source has been a combination of ignorance and stupidity that if you say to me, hey, I'd like to do this, I'll go, well, okay, then let me go and see how I can make it happen. I won't stand there going, oh my God, I can't do it. Oh my God, that's never been done. Oh, that's, in- that's impossible. You're- it's the paralysis by analysis thing. And if you tell yourself enough time that it be- can't be done, guess what? You're right. No, I never had that. So I really just, uh, I-, I focus on what do you want to do? What needs to happen in order for this to be done? Oh, it hasn't been done before. That's just a status, you know. That's just that's just a fact. It hasn't been done. Keyword before, you know. So if you just you know focus on that as nothing more than a challenge, then just you should just be going out and asking for anything. So hopefully that answers the uh, the question.
2: No, it does. It does. And I, I did ask it in a funny way, and it's because there's there's I think this shift that happens from someone who goes from building a business and just getting things done to having to tell other people about it but you have to think about like what, is, and there's a lot of people that, that are doing that, like you have to think about, well, what's my message? You know, how do I translate? What do I do into a message? And you've had to do that. And it tends to be, it seems to be around this idea of, of it seems like you have two things that stand out to me that I got from you, which was, A, you, you just have a way of understanding people. And just how to be authentic and communicate with them, which shouldn't be a hard thing to do, but it seems like people have trouble with it. And then, B, that you have somehow figured out like, don't take no for an answer mentality, which helps you create these experiences. So, I was was trying to get into the mind of like, how did you get there? And how do you tell other people about what you do?
0: Well, it's a bit tough, but you know, it's like me playing basketball with a group of four year olds. You know, it really doesn't matter how crap I am at basketball, I'm still gonna win. You say about I can communicate and I can connect. I'm okay at doing that. But the fact is, the rest of the planet's become so shit at it. Even I look good. You know, a bad hamburger is going to taste good around a pile of manure. So that's, that, that's me. In the 80s and the 90s, which sounds like millions of years ago, we had, you know, a fax machine, a letter, a phone, or a doorknob. That's how we communicate with people. We'd knock on the door and talk to them or we'd phone them up. You know, we phone someone up now and they're almost annoyed that you've interrupted them. And the art of communication and connection is dying. You don't think it's freaking dying. I test you. Go into a coffee shop, order your coffee, then turn around and strike up a conversation with someone. They'll look at you like you've got a penis coming out of your forehead. People don't like it. They're like, what the fuck are you doing? Oh, I just wanted to, you know. Strike up a conversation. Stick your head in your phone like the rest of us. That's the world that we're coming into. And I haven't gone into that. You know, if someone says to me, oh, I want to do this, I'll say to them, okay, why do you want to do that? Well, uh, because it's important to me. Great. Why is it important to you? You know, I'm the annoying little kid that asks for a sweet at dinner time. And the parents just go, no, you can't. Why? Because it'll ruin your dinner. I won't. Yeah, it will. I won't. "Yeah, won't." "Yeah, Yeah, it will. No. You know, Kids are the best salespeople in the planet. I'm a 53-year-old, four-year-old. I will just keep asking why until I get what I want. And you said to me how I actually don't get a no. Well, that's really easy. Never ask a question where someone can answer with a yes or a no. If I say to you, Brendan, I love your glasses. Can I have them? Then there's a 50-50 shot that I'm going to get your glasses. You're going to go yes or no. Because those... Are the only little answers that you can give. Okay. But if I said to you, Brendan, those are absolutely fantastic glasses. Hey, what do I got to do to can I have you give them to me? You know, you can't go, no, because now you sound like a retard. So you've got to turn around and go, well, they're my favorite glasses. Yeah, they may be your favorite glasses, Brendan, but hey, what if I bought you a new pair of glasses? You know, what if I treated you to, you know, some different style? Yeah. See, now we're in into, in, into a conversation. And if you can enter into a conversation, then the idea is you can get what you want by careful questioning. But why kill it at the beginning by rolling the dice for the 50-50 shot as to whether or not it's going to go my way? And you can guarantee the riskier the ask, the higher the percentage of the no's coming because, again, back to that, it's never been done before. It's a knee-jerk reaction for people to go, no. So if you go, hey, I'd really like to do that, no. Hey, can I have the No. Why are you saying no? Because we don't do that. Well, you don't do that or you didn't do that. You know, it's, you don't want to get into that conversation. So never ask a question that someone can ask with a yes or no.
2: What's important to me and what I think was important to branding in general is, is this idea of thinking about your customers, what they need, what they want, and actually do doing something that creates a relationship with your brand and that customer, one customer at a time. And I think a lot of big companies have trouble doing that. And smaller companies and entrepreneurs are a little bit better because they are out out there, out in the field, shaking hands, and you are your business. And on something like this that you've created, where you relationship is everything, just the skills you need to maintain that. I, I, what I what I want to get to is kind of this idea of how important has relationships and networking been in developing your business. You know, if you think about how you got started, how did that play a role, like the, the people side of it?
0: I am to networking what I am to uh, hairdressing products. I'm absolutely shit. I'm terrible on networking. Network, network events literally bring me out in hives and I can't go to them. Because it seems to be a competition as to how many business cards you can grab within like an hour period. See, my focus is never on networking. My focus is, is on identifying a mutually beneficial relationship and then exploiting it. Okay, that's that's what I do. So when I was when I was youngster, um, and I was uh, you know a whiskey drinking biker from East London, I wanted to be rich because you know I didn't like being in shitty pubs. I didn't like being in fights fr- every Friday night. You know I didn't I didn't like that life. And then you see all these guys driving past in like their Ferraris and you know their sharp suits and going to offices. I was working on the building site. They had everything that I didn't have. So in order for me to become successful, they say you are the combination of the five friends you hang around with, I had to get rid of my five and get a new five. In order to do that, I had to bring something to the table. You know, I had to bring some game. I had to bring some value. And as a lot of the time I was working as a doorman on nightclubs, I started knowing where the best parties were. And I started communicating with these people going, hey, you're a regular here, Johnny. You know, tonight's going to be a bit quiet because there's a new club open just down the road. It's called Jimmy's. Talk to Colin on the door. Tell him Sim sent you. That's the place you want to be tonight. And the thing is, they would go and then they would come back to you to follow. And I go, that was brilliant. Thank you very much. Where's next? You know, so you suddenly start bringing value to the conversation. Now, my value in the early stages was the best place for you to enjoy that night. Then I started throwing my own parties. Then I started adding some travel to it. Then I started adding experiences to it and getting you into access that you never could have thought of, like the Vatican or the academia or the Pentagon. All of a sudden, all those things started happening, and I focused on bringing value to a communication. So even when I got museums to close down, even when I got talent to sing, play, or teach my clients, my focus is not only bringing value to it, A side of the cash for making sure that value that it once in there will seed and grow so that I can go back many years later and go, hey Elton John, hey Richard Branson, you know, we, we we haven't spoken for like six months, eight months, but I wanted to and actually be able to kind of like cultivate that relationship further. So I don't network, I focus on relationships. I don't give a shit about money, but I, I think the ROI on a relationship will make you rich every single day of the year.
2: Your brand before it was Bluefish was Steve Sims, right? It was, it was the, the relationships that you had and people looking to you to get things done. And that's been your brand probably longer than, than anything.
0: I think it's even my brand in Bluefish. You know, it's just weird, you know, because when we started, Bluefish was just one of the passwords we had to get into one of our parties. And so, you know, people knew me before they knew Bluefish. And then once they knew Bluefish, because of the stature of people I'm dealing with, they would speak to my team and eventually they would go, yeah, get Steve Steve to call me so he can handle it, you know, and I would get pulled in again. So if you're looking for a scalable business, mine isn't it. But bearing in mind, I took three clients on last year. The fact that I'm billionaires, I'm fine. So, you know, it was one of these cases that without realizing it, without realizing it, I was building a brand. And it was kind of weird because I was just doing what was easy for me to do. And that was the focus because a lot of people the the first effort of any business person is to look the part, act the part, sound the part. That's bloody effort, you know? And I thought I would never have that. I would just turn up and I'd go, look, you're not, you're not retaining me because you want to date me. You want me to get stuff done. So I focused on my substance over my shine. And that's what built up my credibility. Without realising it, it's what also built up my brand. So the fact that people would go, "Yeah, he's going to turn up on a motorbike. He's going to walk through the door like he's going to probably kill you," but that's him. You know, it's what he looks like, what he sounds like. But this is what he does. And so, without realising it, I was developing a brand. It was later on in my my business, and I've been doing the concierge business for twenty plus years, and I've been an author and a speaker the author for like two, speaker for like seven. And I used to brand a lot of very high level uh, luxury businesses. But it was because I hit about an eight-year period, so put me in the, uh, the late 90s, early 2000s, that I started to do the worst thing that every entrepreneur does with that business. You start to focus on your brand and what you staff. Again, I was already in business for seven years. I was already living in a penthouse. I was already doing fine, but then I do what every entrepreneur does when things are going right: we find a way to fuck it up, and that's what I did. I was like, "Well, you know, I'm dealing with the most exclusive people in the world. I I can't, I can't look like this. I better, you know, take all my earrings out and the studs, and I better wear long shirts. I better get some suits, and hell, I better buy a car." And I did all of this for you, and I found that. I wasn't living
2: for me. I was living for you to impress you, to
0: like me, to do my... It was a horrible
2: calculation. Explain that feeling you had when... Because you, you, you mentioned this to me. We had this side conversation before. And you'd mentioned that you were on this ship dressed like not like Steve Sims, Like you, you started to not be yourself. Yeah. You talked about a realization you had. Do you mind telling that story? Yeah. So I was, uh, <laughs> I was throwing
0: a party on this three-story yacht I'm um, not quite sure it could technically be called a ship, but sure, ship wasn't a boat. It was a massive, great thing. Couldn't get over the fact that this thing had loads of lifts in it. I spent probably the afternoon just trying every single lift because I, the idea of me going up a lift in a boat, I found just hysterical. But uh, I, I was on this uh, this this boat, and I threw these um, through this Monaco party that was to do with Ferrari. So. I'm dealing with with billionaires from Russia, America, China, Japan. The invite list was the who's who of private bank accounts. And I felt I needed to be someone else. Now, bearing in mind prior to that year, the year before, I had never been without a motorcycle. There was a small period in my life where I never had a motorbike. And that was it because I thought to myself, I've got to grow up. You know, I'm turning up to my people. Helmet in one hand, tatty old leather jacket going, hey, John, how are you doing? Right, let's do this. Yeah, wire a million to me and I'll get it done. And I thought to myself, how am I getting away with that? And all this self-doubt came in. And then the worst thing in the world, I listened to it. And so I changed. And I, I went out and I bought um, uh, suits. And I bought an expensive watch. And I bought a Ferrari. And I did all of these things to have all the trappings visually of a successful person. And if some, if you went to a, a party and someone asked you to put on, say for say, a waiter's outfit in the party, you're going to feel out of place because everyone else has got waiters' outfits on, but you're not a waiter, and you don't fit in. And people are looking at you like you're a waiter, but you're not a waiter. That was how I had the suit on. The suit was wearing me and it was like two ton. It was wearing me down. It wasn't allowing me to be like, kind "Hey, of, hey, how you doing, Brandon? You know, there was none of that. I suddenly became this like, it's good evening to say. I swear to shit, I started to change my accent. You know, I started to sound like Hugh Grant. Yeah, it's a pleasure to meet you. Oh, oh. Yeah, it was bollocks. And I threw this amazing party. Everyone loved it. And I felt something was wrong. In my stomach, something was not was not right. I was. Uh, it was like, it was like you knew that there was a time bomb in the ship, and you were just waiting for it to go off. And you knew it was there, and no one else knew it. And I had that in my stomach. And I left the party early, and I came off, and there was my my uh, Ferrari there, and I had this little seventy two Dino, beautiful car. But again, I didn't buy it for me; bought it for you to impress you. And next to my yacht was a bigger yacht. This is in Monaco, where people have yachts that have their own zip codes that are so big. And I actually reversed my Ferrari away from my three-story yacht in front of that yacht and got my wife to take a picture of me. Now, we went back. We were living in Geneva at the time, a penthouse in Geneva, and I got the photographs back. Uh, and I was looking through these photographs of all these famous people and these rich people that I was with. And then... Um, I got that picture of me stood next to somebody else's yacht, someone's yacht that I didn't even bloody know. This yacht had nothing to do with me. And that was what was impressing me. And I suddenly realized I'd lost the plot. I I realized I'd sold out and I didn't exist. I wasn't me. And all of this effort to be me had also harmed my relationships because the relationships I had were used to meeting Steve Sims not this guy that couldn't wear a suit without feeling uncomfortable. I was given off an aura of uncomfortable, unconfident, doubtful, you know, who wants to do business with someone like that, especially when you're sending them a million bucks. No, not me. So I, I went through a real bad time. I uh, went through, you know, a lot of bottles of whiskey and just like, where's my life going? I can't, I don't know what to do with myself. All that self-pity shit. I picked myself up. Put all the suits in the back of the wardrobe. Never warm again, actually, funny enough. And I took the car up to a dealership, got rid of that. Bought myself a motorbike on the way back. I thought myself, no, I'm not willing to risk me. If you could do a great business deal, but you had to cut off your legs, would you do it? Now, the answer is no, I wouldn't. But I actually cut me up. I was selling myself in order to try and placate you, trying to impress you trying to uh, endorse that I was someone you wanted to, it was wrong. It was totally wrong. So luckily I discovered it fast enough. And then I went down to, you know, before then I was black t-shirt and jeans. Then I was suits and now I'm black t-shirt and everyone knows me now. They know what I wear. They know what I look like. They know what I sound like. They know what they're going to get. There's no miscommunication. In fact, one of my favorite sayings is there's a big difference between being easy to understand, and impossible to misunderstand. I believe I'm impossible to misunderstand. And this is what you get. And if you don't like it, hey, we're both going to be fine. I'm not offended. Go and find someone that's going to serve you better. But if you want someone to laugh at your jokes when they're clearly not funny, don't come my way. So by me being very firm on who I am, what I stand for, how I speak, what I do, I created my own brand by my identity and my values and now i take that into other businesses so it's been it's been again that education through experience which is pretty much how everyone loves it learns anything
2: well i appreciate you sharing the story i think it's there's two things i think there's one that's important for people when they're thinking about their brand i usually get the what should i do with my logo on my website and usually i'm like well, what are you doing with your business you know what are your relationships like have you sold anything they, they focus on the wrong things and it should be the people they focus on first. And I love how you've done that. And when you started to not do it, just, I think a lot of people would relate to that story where you start to not feel like yourself. If you're not yourself, the business isn't going to work because it was built on you. So I appreciate you sharing that, that story with us.
0: Yeah, it's funny. It, it doesn't matter. You know, you could be talking about the space station or Elton John and you can name drop as much as you like in the world of entrepreneurs of who you do business with and how much money you've got. But we're all remarkably similar. We all have that disease. We all have that single trait, that, that single bloodline that makes us an entrepreneur. And the, the problems that we go through, the branding, the questions, the issues, the doubt, the misfortune, the highs, the lows, the ups, the downs, it's all the same. You know, entrepreneurs, we all ride that same, uh, that same Ferris wheel, that same merry-go-round it's just maybe uh, covered with different colors and stories, but it's all the same.
2: Now, for those entrepreneurs out there that are you know, trying to figure out how to make it work in their businesses, do you have any interesting ways to let, that have helped you maintain important relationships, ways that you've connected with people, ways that you've stayed in contact? Because maintaining relationships is half the battle and meeting someone, you know, that can happen, but keeping that thing going is hard. Maintaining
0: the relationship is all the battle. You see, I can walk up to anyone in the street and go, hey, my name's Steve. What's your name? And they're going to go, Jack. That's not a relationship. That's an introduction. A relationship is when I walk up to someone in the street and they go, hey, Steve, how are you? And I go, hey, Jack. That's a relationship. So if there's anyone in your Rolodex that you phone up and you have to introduce yourself when they answer the phone, <laughs> that's, that's not a relationship. Um, so the idea now is that when you meet people, it's a seed. And you have to focus on how you can take that seed from a seed to a bloody great tree. And that means that you need to nurture it, feed it, protect it, prune it, protect it from all the elements. That's what your relationship is. So I will do things like I will go to an event and there may be an author there. And the author's given away a bunch of his books. And I go, hey, do you want me to send your books to my clients? Send me 50 books. And they will send me 50 of their books. And I will send them out to my clients going, hey, I was sharing the stage with this guy. He had a good story, but uh, he released a book and I kind of liked the book. So I thought I'd share it with you. So out of the blue, they will just get a book from me on somebody else's story, but with some little writing inside of it from Steve. Now, when you get a good book and you really like it, do you share your book? I'm asking you a question. When you've got a good book and you like it, do you share it with someone else? No, it stays on the shelf. Really? A lot of my people, they go, oh, this was a good book. And they pass along. And in the inside thing is a little note from Steve Sims. And usually the first question is, who's this Steve Sims? So
2: you got free marketing. Yeah, I should be doing that. But I'm a terrible networker, which is why I'm trying to learn as much as possible. Selfish (laughs) bookbusters. Exactly. uh, But no, I, I try to
0: find different things. Like Here's another ridiculous one. And this one is ridiculous. When I travel, and I travel a lot... I go to uh, hotels and they have the hotel does a, a local city guide, doesn't it? So when I was in Thailand, I was at the Waldorf Astoria, and they had like this Bangkok city guide, and it's got the Waldorf Astoria. I'll get a sharpie and write on it. Just had a few days in Bangkok. It's awesome here. Ever in Bangkok, hope this helps. And I will post that to people, so they will just kind of like get this letter. open it up, and there's some squall on there on a little sharpie for me and this Bangkok walking guide, and they're like, oh. and then what do they do? They email or they message, text message or they phone me. And pretty much all the messages are the same. Why do you keep sending me stupid shit? Or, you know, because one of the other ones, I told you this in Bangkok, I'll actually sign my bar tab and I'll write on the back of the bar tab and I'll post someone my bar tab and I'll go, hey, I had seven whiskeys tonight. Two of them, I was thinking of you. All the best, Steve. And people will contact me and they go, why don't you keep sending me your bar tabs, you pilchard? And it doesn't matter because what do we want in a relationship? We want communication. So if you're doing that, and it doesn't, let's be blunt. If you're going to travel, you're going to get receipts. You're going to get envelopes. Do something with it. Maximize your assets to make you stand out. Now, let's be honest. If you set up a concierge firm and you don't send your bar tabs, I'm going to stand out because I send out my bar tabs. I send out walking guides. This makes me stand out. And so as a brand, you got to stand out. Building relationships, you got to nurture them. I'm doing both of those things by sending out a walking guide.
2: Yeah, it's definitely a different way to do it. The, uh, just the idea that you're going to get something in the mail that's not a piece of junk from a store or a bill. You'd be the only thing in that, in that. Let's
0: pick. Let's pick on that for a moment. Let's delve deeper into that. Okay. Um, when you get, and this is why Amazon is so successful. Every single one of us gets mail. Okay. When you get mail and it's got a glass, it's got a, a window to show you the uh, your address and stuff. If it's got a window envelope, what is that? Usually a bill. Bingo. Okay. If I send you an envelope, and I send a square envelope, and it's handwritten on it, what's usually in that style and size of envelope? I'm thinking invitation or birthday card. Bingo. So from from a young age, we got excited about those things. Believe it or not, we're still excited. So when you send that to someone, and they're 53 years old, and they get it, it transports them back to... Who is this a birthday card? Is this an invite? And they open it up and they're excited. And inside, there's something jovial in there that makes them smile. The anticipation, the, the, the whole idea, the memory of when they were a kid and they used to get these kind of things. And it's the same thing. When you send someone the book, don't stick it in a freaking box. Wrap the thing in Christmas paper in July and then post it. You know a book you can send for media mail for like three dollars in America, so all this costs you is three dollars and guess what? Christmas wrapping paper in July is dirt cheap because no idiots buying it apart from you. but now you're standing out that again, and they're like, oh yeah, I, got, I remember my last Christmas gift that had blue unicorns on it. It's all of these things that are actually triggers in your mind, and that's what that's why the mail and parcels is so good because it triggers you to an older time. When you used to really anticipate getting those kind of presents and gifts and joking aside, it's even like that now with Amazon, you know, you go on Amazon and you buy boxes of uh, batteries and deodorant and toilet roll, but you get that box, you're actually excited when you open up the box or when Amazon turn up with a bunch of boxes, because that's basically the Amazon Santa. They're bringing you these boxes and you're like, oh my God, what have I got? You know what you got because you ordered the bloody toilet rolls yesterday, but it's still exciting when you
2: open up that box. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's funny that even in businesses that have, you know, maybe they have 10 clients a year or 20 clients a year, they'll still send postcards that are obviously like marketing postcards that still get thrown away as opposed to taking the time to send something that's individual, which obviously stands out and then you want to read it and you look forward to it. So I, I love that you actually have done it because I don't think pe- people are like, oh, that makes sense, but they'll never do it. I love that you actually do it. The, uh, if you don't mind going, since we're you know, towards the second half here, coming towards the end, I want to ask you a couple of questions and you can, you know, whatever makes sense for you, you know, I had to answer them. I, don't, I won't be sensitive about it. But do you believe branding or selling is more important long-term for a business? I think they're
0: both the same because if you're not selling, then you're bankrupt. The bottom line of it is that if you don't have a client, No matter how pretty your logo is, you're fucked. So I think it's not so much the selling. I would twist that slightly. I don't believe I've ever sold in my life. I provided or solved. So I have a saying in my office, don't sell them, solve them. You know. And so that inadvertently will end up becoming what you stand for and what you stand for ends up becoming your brand. So I think that there's a continuity between the pair of them the one fails without the other, but I think it's no good. how your brand is, if you can't sell your message, if you can't market it out there, if you can't provide it, you're still fucked. So um, I, think they're very, very, I think they're intertwined, like, you know, which, which leg's better, your ref, right leg or your left leg? You kind of need them both or you're
2: falling over. No, I appreciate that. And it's, it's something I'm genuinely curious about. And I always get different perspective on like what actual selling is or what actual branding is and what the right ways to do it are. But I'm learning because that's the thing I was most curious about. So I appreciate you answering the question. In terms of the growth of your business and when you saw things really start to take off and when, what were some of those turning points? If you have if, without, you know, I, I don't want to like the long story, but if you have something that you, you would say set things down a different path for you, what were there, is there any kind of themes Funny
0: enough, I had a successful business way before I had it because I never focused on it. My goal was to build up a Rolodex of really rich people. And to get that Rolodex, I had to throw some of the best parties in Asia. I was actually living in Hong Kong at the time. So my focus was on throwing a good party, getting good people in there, good entertainment, and my wife would tell me whether or not we made money. When I started making money was when I started noticing I was making money. So I started, you know, like all entrepreneurs do, we try to have our head stuck in every department of the business. And I started looking at the money. So all of a sudden, I say I've got 300 grand in there and I get lazy and I don't throw a party. Okay. And, but you still got to pay your mortgage. You still got to pay for your bikes. You still go out. You still don't stop flying around. And all of a sudden, that becomes like 150 real quick and then starts sliding. You're like, shit. And then you got to throw a party quick because, you know, things are going. And you throw a party that you didn't really put as much thought into it. And I noticed that the finances were actually affecting my mentality. So one of my biggest aha moments was like, I can't have my bank balance dictate my mentality. So I said to Claire, if we're shy on making the mortgage, if we've got a problem, let me know way in advance by just going, hey, Keep your focus, Steve. Just something like that will be just a little warning shot that, hey, we haven't got a problem, but just keep your aim. And by doing that, it meant that when business opportunities came to me that didn't feel right, I wasn't being dictated by the bank balance as to whether or not I needed to jump into them. So I started getting into better business decisions. And the biggest decision that most people fail in is getting the right client. You know, I've had arsehole clients before, and the bottom line of it is, if you get an arsehole client, they do not get better with age. So if you can stop, if you can look, look at the clients and go, well, hang on, I'm not looking at the bank balance now. I'm not looking at how much money I've got to come in. I'm looking at whether or not I want to deal with that client for the next 10, 15 years of my life. And the answer is no. You can actually go, I'm sorry, we don't actually have a space now, but if one opens up for you, you know, we'll let you know. And kindly swift them on, you know? But I found that it was the bank balance that actually started to dictate my mentality and I couldn't allow that.
2: When you were back in the day, you used to throw parties to keep the business going. How do you source customers these days? Like, What's a good like place for you to pick up a new person to whatever the thing might be? It's an event or whatever, whatever your, your business is doing these days. Where do you find customers?
0: You. My website is probably the worst SEO magnet known to mankind. There is no phone number on my websites. Um, none of them. You know, my my stevedsims.com, my bluefish, none of my sites have phone numbers on them. They also don't have an email that you can actually contact me. Okay, which sounds really stupid. But in the concierge world, I will throw an event and I will do something for a client. And then rich people, they tend to know rich people. So they go to a cocktail reception, they go, Hey, what did you do last week? You know, funny enough. I had dinner at the of Michelangelo's David, and halfway through my dinner, I had Andrea Bocelli serenade me. And I'm like, are you kidding? They're like, nope. This dude, Steve Sims, over in Los Angeles, did it, and bingo. You know, I did an event for a client in Australia. Now, we're on the Monday, so I don't know when you're going to release this, but today's a Monday that we're doing this. I did an event a few weeks ago for a client in Australia. He spoke to one of the richest families in the Philippines, and told them about it at the party, and tonight I have a conference call with them. So my marketing is done by focusing on the clients being so thrilled they won't shut up about it. That's how my marketing's done. And that's the same with Steve D. Sims. If I invite someone to an event, and they go to the event, and they go, my God, I was at this event, and so was you know uh, Ken Cragen, or so was uh, Jim Quick, or, or we went to jail, or, or I met Richard Branson, or we were with Alan John. They do the talking for me, and that's how they market it. In fact, this isn't a plug, but it's a challenge. I mentioned to you that I run private speakeasy events. Look at my speakeasy page, and it will give you no information whatsoever but it'll charge you two grand. And people are buying it because they know that I overdeliver. And how can I not over-deliver when I actually haven't promised you anything? You see, it's a beautiful oxymoron, isn't it? I can't let you down because I didn't promise you anything in the first place. So it's a cool little concept that's been going on that way.
2: Yeah. I mean, as long as they feel like they got more than that, you know, more than that in value, they don't have to know the specifics and that part you'll deliver on no matter what.
0: Yeah. It's, it's one of those things that as long as, uh, see, I've always, one of the questions I get on podcasts and stuff is people say, Oh, have you ever failed? And arrogantly I've been able to turn around and go, no, never. Okay, and the reason I've never failed is because I've never given a client what they asked for. I gave them what they desired or deserved. Okay, so when a client comes to me and goes, "Hey, I'd like to um, go to this concert," bollocks! You can go to Ticketmaster and buy tickets to that. I'll go fine. Okay, I'll organise it, and then I'll find out if they can go backstage and meet the the backing singers, or maybe go along to the warm up, or maybe get to meet the artist, or maybe even appear on stage and sing with the artist. I will try to add something to it that sends it way over the top of what they originally asked me for. So all of a sudden, yeah, I got your seats to this concert. In fact, I got your front row seats to the concert. In fact, you need to be there at four o'clock in the afternoon because they want to warm up and they've invited you to see in there while they actually rehearse and you're going to meet them. And they're like, oh my God. So I take it above and beyond what they first asked for. In fact, we mentioned the, um, the Florence Academia Museum. My client that actually had dinner at the feet of Michelangelo's David with him and five of his friends, and then they had Andrea Bocelli as the entertainment, his request to me was that he wanted an exclusive restaurant in Florence. I took over an entire museum, one of the, uh, um, the feet of the uh, most famous mu- um, statue in the world. So I went way beyond what he
2: had asked me for, and therefore overdelivered over-delivered four million times
0: to uh, make
2: him happy. Yeah, I can't even imagine. Like I've been to that museum and I've seen, you know, stood at the foot of the David and I can't imagine it all being shut down to tourists, having a table there for an intimate setting of dinner, you know, with this beautiful piece of art and then thinking, oh, this is great. And then you, you step it up even further and bring, you know, a world renowned singer in to entertain. I mean, it's, it's, I I mean, especially since they didn't ask for this, this is like why I'm sure they keep coming back.
0: Yeah, it was very quiet. It was actually quite eerie because I got to just wander around the whole place with an old fashioned in my hand and uh, just look at artwork. And then can kind I of walk to another? And there was no one in there. So it was, uh, it was my, my ultimate Thomas Crown affair moment.
2: Yeah. I, well, whenever you start taking applications for a wingman, you, you let us know <laughs> out there. I'm sure people will pay for that too. I have a few quick hitter questions as we're coming towards the end here. And I'm very curious for you, especially knowing what I know about you. What brands are you obsessed with right now? Things in your regular life? I suppose uh, Suntory, which is the Japanese whiskey. Ducati,
0: because I can't buy enough of those. My wife won't let me buy enough of those. I think those are the only two brands that I'm really focused on at the moment. Oh, Macintosh. I just treat myself to uh, my, my, long, my long love of a good audio system. So I bought a, a Macintosh amplifier system. And it just sits in the corner, shining blue. It doesn't even have to be bloody turned on, and I salivate as I walk past it. Awesome.
2: And what brands do you trust? That's a good
0: one. That's a very good one. There obviously should be... Like, I use Apple all the time, but Apple pisses me off, especially with the fact that they keep changing the adapters, every freaking thing. That annoys me, but I still buy them because of the uh, synchronization and the ease. Ducati, because it's always reliable, yeah, depending on what years you buy. I don't know. I really try, and I think that I, I'd love to answer this uh, question quickly, but I think I'm the wrong person to ask, and I think you're the wrong person to ask and probably to even answer. Because when you work in an industry where we are constantly building brands, building communication, building conversations within marketing strategies, we look very closely at the chinks in the armor. We look at where things fail and Apple has many great products and it has many problems. When you look at a brand, it's easy to go, well, I know who you're going for there, but I don't kind of agree with that, but I understand that. And I agree with that. So it's a very tough question for someone to answer in the industry. It's like when someone says to me, Oh, what's your favorite event? Probably the one I throw, you know, because whenever I go to someone else's, I go, well, okay. You could have done better with the security at the front door. The music sound system is reverbing over in that left corner. The air conditioning is coming through on the right-hand side, which means everyone over there is cold. Uh, you know, So you tend to overanalyze other people's events and quite often don't enjoy them as much as someone else who's maybe ignorant to all of that.
2: Yeah. Well, It's funny. As, uh, I totally agree. It's hard when you're in the space because you see through everything. You're like, but they're yeah. doing your data and they're doing this with it. That's not, that's not great. Yeah, they are. They are. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I do have a simple answer for my childhood, which is like, I trust Skippy to always taste like Skippy. <laughs> Go Good point. Good point. Good point. Yeah. You know, I don't know what's in it. I don't care how it's made or who made it because all I want it to do is taste the same as it did when I was a kid. And Consistency. Sure. You know, funny enough, that's why I have
0: Starbucks whenever I travel. I do not think it's the best coffee in the world by far. There's way better. Co- but sometimes you just want that consistency. It's why a lot of people have a McDonald's. I remember I was trotting through uh, Rome, I think it was about four years ago, and I've been over there for like three months, and there's only so much pasta and pizza you can eat, and I walked around the corner, there was a McDonald's, I've never been so happy to have like chicken nuggets and a cheeseburger, and it's shit, but you know, you, you go with what's uh, consistent and uh, what's got the
2: continuity. Yeah, well, and even, even with that, I'd still poke holes in it, because I'd be like, well, I picked up the wrong Skippy the other day. It, had, it was reduced fat. I had no idea. I put it on my sandwich. Oh. And in one bite, I knew exactly what happened. Because I was like, "There's, there's either, either it's gone bad or, or it's different. And I looked at yeah. the card and said, reduced fat, 25%. And I was like, this is going in the garbage.
0: Yeah, I need the full fat. Give, it, give, it, give me the full fat. When I die, people are going to know it's because of uh, too much red meat and alcohol
2: and Skittles and gummy bears. But at least you'll know why. Yeah, exactly. So uh, people who want to find you, even though you're hard to find, where should they go? Where do you, where, let's talk about where your, where your main products are and then just how to interact with you. Well, the concierge is pretty much closed down to uh, people that have already
0: spent like half a million dollars with me. So that's a kind of a tough one to look at. But I do actually release videos and rants and podcasts on stevedsims.com. You can actually, if you're in the US and you've got a cell phone, you can text the word SIMS S I M S to three four five three four five. You'll get my videos. You'll get a PDF of the uh, Bluefish and Playbook, which will hopefully entice you enough to buy the book, of which I'll make three cents on. But you'll become smarter, and then you'll get into my system, so I can start sending you emails, let you know where I'm speaking, what events going on. I think you know I'm doing an event in June with Richard Branson, doing another one in July um, at Elon Factory's uh, factory. So I get to do some pretty cool, Going to jail again, you know that. So, you know, I get to do some pretty cool things and you'll get to know about them first.
2: Awesome. And then a URL is uh, stevedsims.com? Yeah, just one M in Sims, stevedsims.com. Awesome. And what's your audacious goal coming up? Do you have, a, you have a big thing you're trying to accomplish within the next six months to a year? What's, what's next for you?
0: Growth. My life is just uh, so surreal. I travel around the plans I say, you know, I met you in Mexico, and uh, not Mexico, I met you in uh, Phuket, Thailand. Two weeks prior to that, I was uh, hosting Elton John's Oscar party, and two weeks prior to that, I was speaking in uh, Mexico. So my life is pretty much kind of like you know, cool. But I do like to be challenged. I do like to try different things, and so. The only thing I want to do is not next year, but next month. I want to make sure that I have challenged myself between now and next month. And if I have, whether or not I failed or succeeded, because as we all know, your growth comes from usually your biggest failings. As long as I've tried to grow during that month, I'm happy. So that means trying new music, trying new food, listening to a new perspective, getting into an argument with someone to try and find out how I can validate my thoughts and they could do it with theirs to find out maybe, well, actually you're right and I'm actually wrong now. So I try to
2: find growth in whatever I do. Awesome. I I do have a bonus question because I actually want to, I'm curious. If you had a testimonial from a customer that would really, that meant something to you, what would you want them to say about you?
0: Do you know, I have that answer. Uh, It's always been very hard for me to tell people what I do. And so I have always allowed clients to do it for me. And they can go off on like 15 minute, you know, times about, oh, we did this for me, he did this me me. I met a client once and he pulled me over to meet his guest. And he said, Steve, I've got to introduce you to this guy. You know, you, you should do business together. And so his friend looked to me, looked at him and said, well, what does he do then? And he said, uh, this is Steve Sims. He provides smiles. And I thought that, and I, at the time I was like, damn Brian, that, that's good. So That was, uh, I kind of like that. I provide smiles, but you know, I would stick with that. If that's the worst thing anyone can say to me, I'm happy. It's not, but I'll be happy.
2: (laughs) Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on today. It's been a blast. I mean, so many more questions I could ask, but I'll save it for a follow-up interview. But I, I do appreciate your time. Thank you so much.
1: Cheers, buddy. All the best.